You're listening to The Ironing Board. 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 The Ironing Board Podcast. Welcome to the first episode of the Ironing Board Podcast. I'm your host, Heiko Fahim. Now, if you have not listened to the introductory episode of the Ironing Board, let me now give you a very quick summary as to what we look to bring in this podcast. Uh, what we want to do on the Ironing Board is to start conversations, conversations on issues you know, that are often avoided by the community or deemed too sensitive to have an open discussion about. We want to change that and we want to make sure that important social issues are given the attention that they need. In this first episode, I want to bring autism to discussion. Now, how many of us are actually familiar with this condition? I'm sure many of us you know, know of someone who is living with autism, you know, a friend of a friend, a friend's son, your daughter's classmate or his brother, you know, people like that. And, but has any of us really tried to, you know, understand what it means to be living with autism and the kinds of lives their families go through? And that's the reason why we have our guest here today. So let's say hello to our first guest, Kartina Rosley. Hello, Tina. Uh, how are you doing? Hi, Hako. I'm doing fabulous. Thank you for having me here. Oh, no, it's lovely to have you. And alongside Tina, we have today, we're very, very humble to be joined by Quack Sien Yi. Sien Yu, how are you doing? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's lovely to have you. Sien Yi, you're a behavior analyst and you have been working in the field delivering intervention for children with autism, I believe since 2012. And yes, you're what right. they call, you know, board certified behavior analyst. This yes. is an international uh, accreditation, right? Yes, that's right. So there's what, what do you do? So that's something that, you know, is totally alien to me. So tell me a bit more. So actually, I actually design interventions for children with autism mainly. Um, we design interventions that are based on principles of applied behavior analysis. So kind of like the ground pioneer who actually created our field, it's um, B.F. Skinner. So he's actually a popular guy in psychology textbooks. He's the guy who actually trains pigeons and kind of gets pigeons to do different kinds of stuff. And then he wow. gets rats to like push like buttons as well. Yeah. So a lot of the work that um, we do is actually kind of started from that kind of research background. And then okay. it kind of progressed to uh, learning about how humans learn. Um, mm -hmm. We actually learn primarily a lot from reinforcement. So okay. I think if we look at our environment, why we choose to do certain things over other things. It's mm -hmm. primarily because there's some form of reinforcement waiting for us mm -hmm. uh, when we select the behaviors that we choose. So it's okay. pri primarily built on this kind of a premise. Um, and we use this premise to do teaching for our children. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times like we see children with um, autism, uh, it's a very complex disorder. We have children with um, all sorts of different profiles coming mm -hmm. in. I think the name is very telling. It's a mm -hmm. spectrum. Not all children on the autism spectrum is exactly the same, just okay. like how no two children are exactly the same. Heiko, you have I two know, kids. I'm they I are know, I, completely exact, different. I'm exactly. Sure. I'm just going to keep you, you know, hold that thought because I, I'm going to delve you know, super right deep in, into right. that as much as I can late, later on, Sien uh, uh, So, But then, Tina, you yeah. have two kids. You, you are a superwoman, I heard. Mm. So oh, I've heard yeah. that you are a bit of a superwoman. <laughs> so, oh, tell, <laughs> <laughs> so tell us, you are a mother of how, how many kids? I have two kids. 
Two we have two kids and yeah. two beautiful kids. And before we get into the autism bit, uh, because one of them has been living with autism. What what is uh, his name or her name? Uh, Irfan. He's uh, Irfan. Seven. Yeah. So he's he's seven and his name is Irfan. But you also, I mean, you're not just doing that. You're not just a mother. Mm-hmm. Uh, you are an entrepreneur. You run your own PR firm. Uh, that's right, right? Yes, I do. Mm-hmm. Yes, I do. And so you have your own family to look after you have clients to look after you have all these other things to look after and obviously then you have uh irfan who uh you you know has been has been around for seven years and you've been living with that um so you know you want to understand a little bit more so maybe i want to put you a bit in the spotlight right now can you tell me the moment you found out when irfan you know is diagnosed with autism this was when he was born Uh, not exactly. Um, um, I had a good pregnancy with Irfan. Um, pregnancy went very well. Uh, I had a very good delivery. <laughs> uh, but um, he was pretty normal as a baby. You know, he was a happy. He was happy kid. But he started to show signs of not being able to communicate and not wanting to interact with us when he was about two and a half. So you know, growing up with. Three brothers. I always had this, you know, thought that okay, brother, uh, you know, boys tend to uh, be a bit slow in terms of their communication as compared to girls because having a girl, uh, Sarah was already talking at the age of 18 months, but Irfan was not showing any signs of communications and not wanting to have any eye contact with us. So that's the first thing I noticed. Mm-hmm. Um, and the second thing is, um, or rather, it was he was not. Calling me mom or mommy or ibu, okay. uh, and most of the time people like you know like kids would usually do that at um, one, you know, yeah. one and a half. But he wasn't like uh, calling out to me. Uh, instead, he would just be uh, screaming or crying, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was something that I was very worried about. So, okay. um, but again, because I thought it was, it could be something with you know uh, that boys develop slower, right. and um, so I thought, okay. It's okay. I will just take it from there. But uh, I raised. I, there was all these other symptoms as well. Um, he likes to actually line up his toy cars mm-hmm. in a straight line, very okay. long. You know, because I have a long, uh, you know, aisle in, in the house, and he would like to actually uh, line them up in a very straight line. Okay. That's one. And once he has done that, he will actually lie down, and he will look at the wheels, and he start to turn the wheels. That's mm-hmm. one. Okay. And, uh, And the other thing I noticed is um, he would either do line them up in a straight line or he would put it in a circle, the cars in a circle, and he would be actually running around in circles. Ah, okay. Yeah. And all this when we was about how how old? About two and a half. Okay. Coming okay. to three. And he wasn't going to school yet then, or he wasn't. No, no, he, okay. he was not in school yet um, because we actually had a helper to take care of him, so uh, we decided to. Maybe wait right. a while and put him into play group at the age of three. Okay. So that was the time that we also went to see the doctor for his three-year-old development, you know, mm. check. And the first thing that the nurse actually told me uh, was that, oh, mommy, I think your son is showing signs of autism. And I mm. remember the day very clearly. I, I, you know, it's like a, it's like a movie, you know, like you have all this, you know. Uh, Thunder going on. The, the sky is still dark grey. You know, like, the like, oh my god, what's that? You know, I mean, I've heard about it, and the first thing that came into my mind, oh my god, is is he is he going to be okay? Is it a disease? Is it going to affect his brains? His his um, 
you know, is he going to be a fine? Is he going to grow yeah. up as normal? Um, so I had a lot of questions. At that time, Tina, how much yeah. did you know about autism? Did you oh. know anything at all about autism at that point? I would only say like, Heiko, probably 10%. All I know is that autism kids are not, uh, you know, similar with other kids. Mm. Because they don't, uh, they have, you know, at that point of time, I have to admit that autism kids uh, show different kinds of signs of communications. Mm. And uh, most of the time, you will see kids like, uh, you will label them as being uh, rowdy or naughty. Mm. Right, because they tend to shout and and not. Uh, I mean, that's their form of communications. Mm-hmm. Um, so very little, I have to admit. So okay. that's what, that was a fear that I had. Like, oh my god, what is autism, and uh, is it going to be fine, and what have I done? And of course, that's where the blame game came into the picture. And I asked myself, oh, what did right. I eat? You know, during pregnancy, <laughs> what did I have done? Did I accidentally push him against the wall by accident uh, when he was a baby? Did I did I drop him? So there were a lot of questions uh, in my head, and um, and I went into kind of, uh, you know, the blame game and ask myself, yeah. it could be me. And because, uh, um, I think I've told you before, Heiko, because I grew up with mild dyslexia as well. I mean, I was, you know, yeah. very, uh, I, was ha- I was having challenges with reading, writing, spelling mm-hmm. was like my greatest enemy of all. And so I thought, oh, could it be me? It could be genetics, you know? Um, so I had a lot of questions and I was blaming myself for everything. Okay. Um, so that was how. Okay. Uh, and it, so, so that was when you first found out about, you know, Irfan's condition when he was uh, three years old. Um, Sian, you know, okay, firstly, I, I, okay, correct me if I'm wrong. So autism has been always, I don't know, when it's within my circle of friends and all that, it's always been related to kids. But it's not a condition that is only with children, right? Adults have autism too. Uh, but it's the correlation because people always find out when, you know, they, they are still kids, when they're still children, and, and that's where the co- correlation comes. And people live with autism into adulthood. And do they, you know, you know have pro- normal lives? Do, do they, you know, grow up to be normal people like you and me? I mean, I, I hate co- using the term normal because yeah. there's nothing abnormal normal. about it. Yeah, there, yeah. There, there, there's nothing abnormal about it at all. So I, I can't find anything in my vocabulary right now. But you know, they, they grew up to be just like you and me, right? So mm-hmm. is, is that the only correlation? The fact that, you know, people only find out about autism when, you know, their, their kids tend to find out when, when, you know, these children are pretty young. Do you see people making that correlation as well? Um, generally, I actually see more children especially young children. So from the age of um, probably about three to about six, that's kind of like the main age group that I work with. But I think what's happening is um, the, the knowledge of um, autism. So like this has been around probably, I think the first time when someone actually coined it, um, it probably happened in the 1980s, mm-hmm. but it wasn't like a very commonly diagnosed condition. And then like when we reach like the 21st century, you know, the last 10, 20 years, um, increasingly there've been a lot more diagnosis being given out for Mm. um, ASD. And then what happens is kind of like our age group people, like people who are currently in like their 30s, 40s, a lot of us probably, if we did show signs when, um, when we were children, we probably weren't caught on. So then like you kind of get this big wave of like adults, like in their 30s and 40s right now who are actually like just finding out that hey, like, I think differently and I feel differently from, like, my peers. It's because I am different. Mm -hmm. I just, like, have a different way of looking at things as compared to, you know, people that are around me, like, my family members and things like that. So, there's also been a huge wave in terms of adults getting diagnosis. 
um, these few days. Um, but mm-hmm. definitely, I think because of the trajectory of ASD, when it's not... What, what, what is ASD? A- What's the long form for it? Autism spectrum disorder. Okay. Autism yeah. Spectrum. So okay. because of kind of like the trajectory that um, we see with uh, children who do not receive early intervention, um, right now the government is taking steps in terms of like training medical professionals to make sure that, you know, they can um, identify children who show like signs that they possibly could have a risk for developing ASD um, and mm. things like that. So that's why um, probably Tina saw the nurse. She probably would have been one of those who received training to be able to identify children who are showing early signs mm. uh, and then flag it out to the medical professional. And then generally, we will, we will advise parents to seek like early intervention for their children. So that's why there's a lot of emphasis being put on children right now because they are actually right. just trying to you know, just improve their developmental trajectory from a young age because research shows us... Um, the earlier we intervene, um, their kind of like their developmental outcomes tend to be a little bit closer to their same age peers. Mm-hmm. So that's why there's a lot of emphasis being placed on children, but it's not like a children only thing. Yeah. I think if you if I love Netflix, so I watch Netflix all the time. <laughs> I so love like Netflix when, too. When they came out with like a docu-series of like people on the spectrum dating, I was like, oh my gosh, I need to watch that. And I, I would encourage people who are interested to know more about how, you know, adults with autism actually live their lives. And like you mentioned, Heiko, like live a quote unquote like normal life as defined by us. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a good watch to see like their perspectives, to see how they date. It's very interesting. Yeah. What's the title again? I think it's called Love on the Spectrum. Yeah. Uh, yeah it's one, one, one to you know, go on my list. Tina, I wanted to ask you, I mean, we, one of the things that we want to talk about at the Ironing Board is obviously, obviously the fact that you know, people you know, are going through various issues in the society um, and you know, how people actually perceive certain groups of other people and how they are being judged. Um, but just by look being you know from the outside looking in and not really understanding it, uh, those are the kind of things that we want to address right at the ironing board. Can you share maybe I don't know if there's any at all you know something that's happened to Irfan to you to your family members uh, you know that you could give as an experience that you know is not very nice uh, that you know maybe a sensitive comment from from someone a member of the public or from, you know, a, a family member who's, you know, an extended family member who don't really know the story. If I were to just see someone, you, you, you mentioned it, Tina, if, uh, yeah. you know, when you, when kids are misbehaving, you just, you know, or they are just behaving badly. Yeah. But you don't know if they are actually, you know, exactly. they, have, they have a con- condition, right? So how does someone really, you know, understand that? But, but tell, tell us your story first. Have you had any, any of, you know, those kind of instances? Too many, Heiko. Way too many. Um, it was very challenging because we were also finding out about uh, how to deal with it. Uh, but I can actually share with you two uh, incidents that will always be etched in my mind. And the first one was um, because your friend has trouble communicating what he wants to say, and because he's very, he's, you know, his his expression is most of the time, or his way of expressing himself is through shouting and screaming or you know, lying on the floor and hitting the, the, uh, his legs on the floor. So, um, and because he, he, I mean, as with any other kids, they, they enjoy going to Toys R Us, right? 
So, and when he goes to Toys R Us, and uh, somehow I noticed that he likes trains and cars because they have wheels, right? Mm-hmm. So you always end up um, going to that section. But of course, we know that there's too many toys, that, I mean, too many Thomas the Train that we can actually buy and too many cars that we can actually, you know, uh, get for him. So I remembered uh, we actually had to drag him out of the mall and into the car park. And because he was, you know, screaming and throwing his body all over, um, my husband actually had to carry him, mm-hmm. you know, uh, into the car park. We were actually stopped by the security guard who said that, wow. is, you know, what are you doing? So uh, uh, my, my husband said, this is my son. Uh, why is he screaming and not wanting to, you know, to, to be carried? So I had to come here and say, you know, um, yeah, he's having a, a bad day. And I had to actually coax my son and, and carry him because somehow he gets, uh, he'll get calmer when I carry him. But, you know, he was already four at that time. So I think, oh, I think you would know I'm four. Yeah, I know. He's not white like anymore. <laughs> and then he carries most of the time. And yeah. So, yes. Uh, and, and I had to actually tell the, the security guy and say, no, he's, you know, he's not, he's not feeling well. Okay. And misbehaving. But he's my son. Um, he, I, I can tell that he wasn't um, convinced, but you know, we just <laughs> walked to the car uh, and then we, we drove off. Um, but the more, um, I would say, uh, a, set, a, a, a little more set emotional experience was when he actually attended his first preschool. Mm-hmm. Uh, we finally managed to get into a, a mainstream preschool. Okay. Uh, of course, we actually shared with the the teachers and the principal of his uh, condition uh, and so thank god we were accepted and they 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 said that they will support him uh, unfortunately because he was in that condition he's always running around he's always screaming and disturbing his, his classmates i had to sit in class with him for a good um i believe it was two months i remember yeah till about a year uh, but there was one incident where the teacher actually uh came to me and mm-hmm. said, "What's wrong with your son? Mm-hmm. Why is he not being? Why is he not, uh, uh, you know, sitting down and listening to my instructions? What's with him?" How, said, how do you feel when you got that? You know, what's What's wrong with your son? You know, that's very oh, very specific. Oh. How How did you feel, Tina? I was extremely angry. I was extremely ashamed at the same time. Uh, in a way, I was angry because you are supposed to be an educator, right? Um, so why are you asking me this question? I am sure the other kids also have issues in the beginning of the year. Oh, yeah. uh, first day in school, first week in school, not being able to sit down. But I guess they probably they, they could see the difference in Irfan as compared to other kids probably because some other kids probably settled down at the first week but Irfan was still you know, having some challenges. And you know when uh, being on the spectrum, Irfan actually has difficulty um, eating certain kind of foods. He doesn't eat rice or noodles, you know, okay. or bread for that matter. He was, or he always needs to eat something that's crunchy, like okay. nuggets or fries. But you know, rice, noodles, and yeah. bread are typically what they serve in, you know, in mainstream food. preschools, right? Yeah. Oh. So, and, and we are not allowed to bring the food from home. Yeah, you understand, right? So it was very, very tough. He he was not um, able to eat the food, and they tried to make him eat it. So you imagine the screaming and the yelling. It happens and yeah. he scares the other classmates and the classmates also in the end, oh, he's not eating, I'm not eating either, you know, that kind oh, of thing. No. <laughs> um, so those were the two incidents that... Um, what happened in the end? Did he continue with, with uh, well, being uh, in mainstream school? 
no, no, Haika. In fact, unfortunately, we had to um, quit from the school because we had uh, a worse incident where uh, I actually left him um, one morning. Um, and because, you know, because he, we don't want him to actually see us leaving the school, right? So we actually uh-huh. walked backwards slowly and actually uh-huh. left the school. But I think about 15 minutes when I got to the office, uh, I was, I mean, my office is about 20 minutes drive. I got a, a phone call from the teacher and I could hear him screaming and crying at the back, at the background and I asked what happened. And she said that, you know, yeah, your son is just screaming and vomiting all over and he doesn't want to be pacified. So I, I got, you know, I, I got really panicked, you know, and I decided, okay, I'm coming to school. Can you please pick him up? So I, I, I came to pick him up and I will always remember his, his face. It's like, mommy, save me, you know, I, like, you know, that kind of face. And you can, I mean, you are a parent, you know, yeah. the that our kids have when they see like something that is so, is so traumatizing. And that's the word. He was so traumatized to a point that he doesn't want to even open his eyes when our car drives past the school. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the next day we actually got him to try to put on his uniform and he started crying and said no I don't want and he closed his eyes and he actually went under the covers so I, I, I do not know what happened at that point of time so I decided to actually get some insights from the school but they were not really uh, forthcoming you know, they, were, right. uh, they, they gave me a lot of excuses and uh, so I actually had to wait a week and I, I hate to say this, but I actually had to write to the HQ to get some insights. I actually wanted a recording of the, of the incident, what happened. Uh, again, there was no sound, no picture. And uh, actually, when I had to write to some of the or, you know, MPs to actually share my thoughts and feelings what happened, and true enough, I actually got a call from the school. But by then, Heikel, he was so traumatized. Um, I There's had no to- point, right? There's no point putting him back there, right? Yeah, no point. Um, and I, I actually went to see the doctor and, he, and the Pete said, you know, he's so traumatized. So it's best that we don't force it down on him. So we had to take a, a gap year. And he just started. Can you imagine? He, his, uh, yeah. his and we had to take a gap year for him to recover. And he did take about a year um, to recover. But thanks to early intervention at Eden uh, Children's Centre, that yeah. was the magical moment that... Um, just changed everything from then on. And, and that's where he's still schooling now as well, right? Yes, yes. But he's going to graduate soon. So and oh, Graduate! Fancy! <laughs> awesome, awesome. Sien, you know, you know, we heard Tina's unpleasant experiences, uh, especially, you know, when you're out in the public and people don't know better. What do you advise for a member of the public when they actually see something's going on you know i i wouldn't say ex- explicitly you know what i've seen some of the things in certain accounts on instagram and now i see people make comments like oh these uh, i'm just sitting next to a parent you know some people just tweeting and, and saying that oh i'm sitting next to a parent and kids running around you know don't know how to take care of their child blah 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 you know and in my mind uh, you don't really know what's going on even if you're a parent and your kids are you know most angelic kids in the world, right? Great for you, but not everyone's like that. How do people approach it? So, or even if someone wants to try and help or, or say something, should they just, you know, quite literally shut up and mind their own business? I mean, to put it plainly. I, I Actually hearing Tina's story, I, I really do feel sorry. And I feel like as a member of a public, you know, we, we do should show some more understanding and care and concern to 
I think just generally people around us. I think like one of the things, I mean, being a parent as well, like when my, my, my two-year-old girl throws like a tantrum in like the shopping mall, I, I think I've, I, I start to relate a lot more with the parents that I work with when they say like, you know, Sien is very difficult. Like when I bring him out, you know, like he throws tantrums and I can't bring him home. I literally can't bring him anywhere and I don't have a life because I can't bring him anywhere. So it's like, I feel like as members of society, we should just just embrace and be just more, you know, understanding of people around us and that every single person has a different story. Like today, you could see a child who is lying down on the MRT train and you mm. might think that mommy is like, have, has no control over like the child whatsoever. But what about because the child is just immensely, you know, interested in trains. Like they yeah. love our train system so much that they can <laughs> recite like east-west line from like end to end <laughs> with no mistakes whatsoever. And if you make a mistake, be sure they'll be able to catch it. I guess it's really just extending like an olive branch and a helping hand as well. Like I think sometimes when I go out with like my family members, like I'm thankful I have an older sister who, who mm. actually works in psychology as well. So we, she kind of understands, but my husband and my brother-in-law, they are not people who really, you know, have seen children who are differently abled. Mm. Um, and sometimes when like we go out and like they see children misbehave and they like, hey, why, why is that kid doing that? Or like when our kids play together in like indoor playground, like there are other kids yeah. who are a little bit more rowdy and then, you know, we tend to pass comments and things like that. That's when we kind I feel like as a professional where I come in and kind of also educating like my family members and say, hey, you know what? We don't know about like the child. Like he mm -hmm. could be doing this because he doesn't know how else to. And this mm -hmm. is what he's used to doing, right? So maybe that's just his story. Like cut everyone some slack. Parenting is just hard. Stop. It is right, you know. It is. Yeah, we, <laughs> we are all pretty, pretty young parents. Uh, you, you, Sian, you have a two year old, I have a three and a six year old, and I can tell you, you know, and we, we talk about pe people who are very different. My son, who's three, is absolutely different from my daughter, who's six. So, Ava is a totally different person to Ezra, and it's something that I've come to embrace. I'm still learning to embrace it, to be honest. And it's something that I, I want to always avoid. Like, oh, why can't you be more like your sister? Or look at your brother, he's doing this. So you should do it as well. And, you know, I, I've come to realize, you know, that's not really the best way to look at things because, you know, there are two different people. They will want to approach different things differently. And more so with uh, children having a condition like autism, right? You know, Sen, I want to keep with you. And I wanted to ask a little bit more. My first lesson on autism <laughs> was when I read a book a uh, very long time ago. I think I was still, still in secondary school when I read this book. It's a Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime. Uh -huh. um, so I love that book. Um, it's a so very popular who... play now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. It is. Um, but further to that, I don't really know. And, you know, Tina, when I first approached you, you said that, uh, you know, Irfan is a milder condition. And mm -hmm. by hearing your accounts, you know, to me, that's not mild at all. And Sien, you started out on the podcast earlier and you said that it is a spectrum, right? It's called ESD. Uh, and, you know, so there is a wide spectrum of it. So what is the spectrum? So what is one, what is 10? Or is there such a spectrum in the first place? I think there's not really like a conclusive kind of like a benchmark as in what constitutes a one or a 10. 
But I can tell you that in terms of how we look at it, it's kind of how able they are uh, to function day-to-day life in general society. So like we do have learners who um, are not able to uh, verbally communicate um, mm-hmm. and then they have uh, highly frequent repetitive and restricted interests and behaviors and that yeah. severely impedes in their ability to learn. Okay. So like one of the things that I do hear from parents very often is like, why do they not get it? Isn't it like natural? Yeah, so that's something that I hear pretty often and and I do tell them like, unfortunately or fortunately, um, it's not really natural. It's just that they think differently. It's a separate perspective. Mm. Yeah, which is why they don't think the same way as us. Perspective, right? that, that's very, you know, it's a big thing. And I think it's something that we need, everyone needs to try to see in a different perspective, right? You know, be it, you know, how the children was living with autism are seeing it in their own perspectives and it's just us as well we have a perspective on what's considered as you know in quotation marks normal but it that is normal to them um i might am i even getting this right i mean i'm, I'm not sure at all but Sien, before we actually even go into other parts can you tell us what causes autism because tina you said that you know you start when you first found out you started playing blaming game or did i drop him or did i bang him against the wall or whatsoever so people who don't know like me you know what causes autism if i'm wrong it's got something to do with some chromosome somewhere (laughs) so i am not scientifically inclined at all so can you in the plainest form as you can describe to a gundu like me (laughs) how <laughs> to understand autism and i can i'm i'm pretty sure it's not because you 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 hit Irfan's head on a wall or something like that tina it's got nothing to do with that at all am i right sen yeah so unfortunately i can give you the simplest answer heiko which is is a work in progress to discover so there have been numerous scientists who have tried to kind of like look at the DNA, look at the chromosomes and things like that to kind of, they were able to identify certain like genetic makeup that could possibly um, be a risk factor for people to develop autism. But as of now, the answer is we don't really have a clear cause as to what causes um, autism spectrum disorder. So that's just something that I think maybe in today's society, it's diff- mm-hmm. difficult for us to accept as well. Cause like, okay. you know, information everyone is so need, Everyone needs a, yeah, everything needs a definition, right? You need to tell me what it is. Uh, exactly. Otherwise they can't accept it. But yeah, that's definitely not the case. But how does one maybe differentiate autism to things like, it can, can be some, something similar like ADHD, which is attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Did I get that right? Yes, awesome. we got that. <laughs> Accurate. So, so ADHD. So how uh, is there a correlation between the two? Um, there are cases where um, it's comorbid condition. So for example, a child could come in presenting symptoms of ASD as well as ADHD. Um, but one of the core um, kind of deficits that we look at for children with or individuals with ASD is really their social communication capabilities. So a lot of children with ASD, you see them having persistent challenges in terms of social interaction, speech, and a lot of them have very repetitive and restricted interests as well. Um, these are things that kind of comes with the ASD condition, like symptoms of 
you know, ASD. Um, but for ADHD, we are just lo- we are looking more at their ability to focus, their attention span, and their degree of hyperactivity. So there are actually kind of different, I'm not going to go into too big details about it, but there are kind yeah. of different strings in ADHD as well. You have children who are just, uh, who have like difficulties uh, maintaining and focusing attention, and then you have children who have difficulties maintaining and focusing, but they also have hyperactivity issues as well. Yeah. So sometimes we do see clients who um, come in with both. So we do have, I do work with um, learners with ASD and ADHD comorbid conditions. Um, And it's a challenge. I think it's a Mm. challenge for the children because it's a lot to balance. And it's like, I think I read this on a blog from, uh, was it a 13 year old child with ADHD? He actually says that, you know, if you have ADHD, it's almost like having 13 television screens and monitors all on at the same time and yeah. you being forced to sit in front of that. Like that's what they deal with on a daily basis, which is why it's so difficult for them to kind of focus and like do what they need to do. And then for individuals with ASD, similarly, if I read like blogs from like older individuals who present symptoms with ASD and things like that, they, they also cite similar experiences. Like sometimes they say things like, you know, the, the light, like you guys might think like the street lamp is not bright enough, but have you ever uh, imagined like someone is shining a torch in your eye like 24-7? Oh, That's how okay. I feel about street lamps. Yes. So, okay. The difference in their brain makeup, although we don't really quite know what the difference is, it's still a work in progress, but we know that they pick up what we perceive very differently, which is why sometimes you also get um, children on the spectrum who have like um, uh, sensory issues, right? Like some children, they are just more sensitive to like certain kinds of frequency of sound. Some of them are more sensitive to certain intensities of light and things like that. And that's also why they have different interests because okay. if like imagine if the street light is blinding you all the time you know you're probably not going to be very interested in like saying that hey the street light is on <laughs> which is something that you know a three four year old would be interested to say all the time when i'm sure and we go out yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so that okay. definitely does make a huge difference in their learning and their ability to kind of like pick up things in their daily environment okay tina i want to hear about um, Irfan a little bit more uh, if you can share with us um, a few things yeah, you mentioned just now there are incidents uh, that are not you know really nice that you've, you faced uh, but has there been anything that Irfan had to go through I mean we heard about what happened in school because people with autism they have feelings clearly Irfan faced trauma um, and has he faced anything that you can share that is really something that probably is a bit traumatic for him other than the, the bit on in, in the school um, that, you know, that he's maybe been able to share a little bit with you or his sibling um, and, you know, could tell you a bit more. Yeah. Well, um, I think the early intervention that he actually had uh, really came useful for him um, because I think in school, they actually have helped him discover his feelings and, you know, um, to actually share what he feels. Uh, and after being with them for about one half years, I noticed that he is a bit more sensitive towards his cousins. So if let's say they were to come over, because okay. he's very catty, you okay. know, 
Irfan is a very chatty boy and he likes to share about his toys and he likes to tell about Thomas the Train. Um, <laughs> he's Titanic and he can sing the Titanic song, you know. So he's very excited about these things. And because he's he's loud, yeah, so he tends to kind of um, scare his cousins. Okay. And they would just tell and go away. And there was one time he was during Hari Raya because everybody is, you know, around. Yep. And of course he was... He was showing off his, his toy trains and his Lightning McQueen. Um, and then he came to me at the end of it. And the thing about him is that he doesn't tell me immediately. He takes some time to actually internalize his feelings. Okay. Um, and then when everybody has gone home and we showered him and it was time to bed, uh, and I said, do you enjoy yourself today? And he said, no. And I had a shock because I thought he, I thought he was because he was yeah. going around, you know. And um, you know, talking to his cousins and stuff like that. And then he suddenly said this. He said, "Mummy, I don't have friends. They don't like me." Oh gosh. Yeah. And I felt oh. so sad for him. And I said, "No, I don't think it's bad. You know, I think they don't. Uh, they just don't want to play your toys. You know, um, maybe you know, you just have to give them a bit more time." But the thing is, at that age, uh, he was about six. It was about yeah, it was last year. And so. There's a lot of things for him to digest, right? Okay, uh, now I can feel. It's like a discovery, right? Oh gosh, I feel it. I can express. And now mommy is telling me uh, I have to understand that other people are not, in, are not, are not able to understand me. So why am I supposed to feel? Uh, to be honest, he took, uh, he took that feeling for a couple of days and it was actually observed in class as well. And that's where the teachers actually told me, you know, mommy, I think your friend is feeling a bit down. So I said, why do you say that? You know, he would just sit down and not want to participate. He would just be very gloomy. So I said, okay, that's not him. So what we did was we actually had to take him out. Uh, um, you know, we went, we went, I remember we went swimming and, and because, you know, he needs to let go of his, you know, energy, right? Yeah. <laughs> down, we gave him his favorite food and then we actually got down to, to ask him again, what do you do that made, uh, you know, his cousin's name uh, upset? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I just want to play with him, but he doesn't want to play with me. No. Uh, so I asked him, uh, are you very sad? Yeah, but it's okay now. Oh, okay. Yeah. So what yeah. about him? I also... So yeah. he, he, he got past it. So, so you know, he, he, yeah, he, was, he was able to get past it. It's re- really encouraging. Yeah, it is. And in fact, because I think every day we'll ask him, how are you feeling? You know, I love you. You know, uh, Kaka loves you. And he will always repeat this. You know, I love you, mommy. I love papa. I love... Kaka, I love Papa and I love Bibi. I love everybody. So I think he was actually comforting himself, you know, that it's okay if I don't have my cousins with me, but, you know, I have all these people around me and I'm, I'm a rich person, you know, I'm, I'm contented. Uh, even though he didn't tell me that, but I didn't realize that he was actually comforting and consoling himself for that one week. And then we had a conversation and he said, it's okay, mommy, that's fine. So it was only as he grew older, right? Um, and I, before his cousins come, and I will always tell him, okay, try not to be so loud. When your cousins come, give them some time to settle down. And if they don't want to play your toys, offer them another one. <laughs> so he um, Of course, the first few times it didn't work. But I have to say, Heiko, he has gone, um, he, he has come so far, really. Um, so I'm very proud of him. Uh, you know, I want to share also with you, Sen, because, you know, like you said, the kids are very sensitive to, to light and, and sound. And Irfan had that 
issue as well. And yeah. he will always close his ears when he hear loud sounds. Uh, I remember, you know, we have uh, we were at the ceremony where the sister got an award, and because everybody was clapping, he was and he went into a panic mode. He wanted to leave, mm. you know, but somehow he overcame that again, and right. he started to switch on music, and he was, uh, you know, he was singing along with the music. And just yesterday, like, uh, oh gosh, I'm I'm such a proud mommy. He actually won a talent time in school for singing. Oh wow! And my heart will go on for the teachers' day and the teachers' topic. <laughs> so proud of him, and it's like you know he has yeah. So like I see, he has come so far, um, and and it's just amazing. It's just amazing of this journey that I had with him. Yeah. Oh, if you have a video of that, I'd love to see it. You know, yeah. if, if you, yeah, yeah. please do. No, I love, I love to show people. I love to to to, to share. It. If you, if you, if with your permission, of of course, you know, I would love to yeah. share. It's inspiration for all moms there. You know, yeah. don't worry. You know, they all have special gifts. You know, exactly. they are special uh, kids with special gifts. You just have to take some time to actually recognize what they are and really have to just have faith that they're going to show you something. Yeah. Sien, yeah. you know, uh, what are some of the myths of autism that you can debunk? Um, you know, some of the things that people, you know, often understand it as it is, but it's actually not. Do you think that there are, you know, false mis- misconceptions out there um, that, that you can help debunk? I think the first one that I do hear from parents is he's just being naughty. <laughs> <laughs> and he's not just being naughty, he's just being himself, right? Yes. And I, I think when parents tell me that, sometimes what I do tell them is it's not really that he's naughty, it's that he doesn't know how else to express himself or how else to get what it is that he's trying to get. Um, by engaging in the behavior that he gets. So I'll give an example. Like if I have, I had a kid who, you know, like he, he's done with eating and then he kind of like brushes his bowls off the table. Mm, yeah. Mm. So like on hindsight, if I would think about that, that's, yeah, it's not an appropriate behavior, definitely. Yeah. Um, but if you were to think about it from a perspective of a kid who doesn't have speech skills, yeah. right? Isn't that just kind of me pushing aside the bowl to tell you I'm done. But yeah. maybe with a bit more intensity. Well, mm. if you also consider the fact that the child might be two or three, might not have the best muscular control. Yeah. yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. So okay. definitely, I, I think there, there are, it's, I guess it's really still boils down to it's a matter of perspective. So definitely I do hear things like, oh, the child was being naughty. I think yesterday I was in a grab when the grab driver mm. heard that I work with children with autism. People are usually very quick to share. So the, the, <laughs> the uncle went, yeah, there was this kid. You know, he was in my cab and then he was taking off his shoes and throwing my, the shoes at me. And like, the mother really couldn't do anything about it. And then, like, I actually, like, uncle said, like, why are they like that? Is it because he's just naughty? Now I just told the uncle, I said, well, there could be a different number of reasons. Some children mm. don't like to be in cars because they don't enjoy the movement mm. that the car provides. Some people don't like cars because it's a confined space. It's okay. like some people don't like lifts, right? So I told the uncle, I said, it could be a myriad of different reasons why he did what he did. Um, but 
exactly like what Tina said, a lot of times when we look at behaviours that, you know, parents or general people think it's inappropriate, um, what our angle is, is the child has to be exhibiting this behaviour for a reason. There's a purpose that he does it. We have to find out what that purpose is and then kind of like teach them another way for them to express themselves. Then once they use the new way and they find like, oh, it's actually easier for me to use this new way to express myself. You Mm. will start to see like all this, you know, undesirable behavior start to diminish and eventually go away. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Thanks so so much, Sian. Um, Tina, you've you've gone through a lot. I'm sure that during this time, during the seven years, you've learned a lot as well. Mm. Um, If there's something that you want to share with, you know, mothers and parents out there, who's just been uh, given the news, um, just as how you you were by that nurse um, in, in that clinic. What's your message to them? I think the first one, and after going through it myself, the first one you have to stop doing is blaming yourself. Um, this is something like what Sian says, you know, there's no studies to say or to conclude what or how actually someone gets autism. And if you notice, Heikel, the numbers are increasing. You know, uh, I've had friends who are both lecturers and their sons or their daughters are having the same condition. Mm. Of course, I have friends who are, you know, um, just like normal people like us, you know, but they also have kids um, on the spectrum. So it it doesn't really, it doesn't define whether we are a different race or whatever, you know, or income level or in terms of your education level. Uh, so the first thing is that don't blame yourself, you know, about what's happening. And second thing is to embrace this new challenge. It is going to be very difficult, I have to admit. But we have so many resources to help we, uh, help us and our children. If they have been diagnosed, uh, get into an early intervention center. The people there, the teachers are just, you know, made from heaven. They are just specialists, you know, who can actually identify and help you along. And as a parent, uh, support your kid. Do the same thing what the teachers are helping them in school and you repeat it in, at home. Uh, work together with the therapist so that you can see the improvements together. And the thing is that at the end of the day, right, I believe that every child is a gift from God. And I'm sure, and I, ha- and I have two, right? Sarah and Irfan are two different beings altogether, but they each have their own specialty. Now, having said that, and because I grew up with mild dyslexia, who would have thought I ended up in communications public relations? No, I know. You, yeah, you, that's you, true. And you are, you know, I believe you, you are, you're writing and editing for an online yeah. publication as well. So, I mean, that's amazing. And it just shows that, you know, not, nothing can stand in your way. Nothing. And we should instill that same faith and, you know, strengthen our children, uh, support them. Uh, if one is showing signs that he loves music, so be it. You don't know what way it's going to lead. You know, never stop uh, their interests. Um, you know, uh, support them and encourage them. Speak to them. I tend to speak a lot more with Ifan as compared to Sarah. But then again, Sarah is in this teenage age. <laughs> it's, it's okay, mommy. Don't talk to me. <laughs> but, <laughs> she so, probably appreciates the fact that you're not talking yeah, to her. <laughs> exactly. But I think uh, talk to them and encourage them to give them advice and show them because they, they have, for everyone especially, he's a visual learner. So he see and he, he mimics good behavior. He mimics, you know, uh, conversations. Um, and so I, I 
I know some parents don't believe in iPads and you know gadgets, but I do because there's so much I can keep on talking. But there are a lot of activities that you can actually en enhance his abilities. I also enjoy taking him outside because I actually get him to look outside the window and I have a conversation about just simple thing. You know, like asking him, what do you see outside? Or, you know, what's inside that jungle? So I want him to, and if he doesn't know, I probe him. So it's a lot of effort. But I can tell you, um, he's seven and he has shown tremendous, uh, um, you know, uh, changes and improvements. So I'm, I'm confident that uh, kids on the spectrum will have um, a place in, in our society. We just really have to support them and give them all the, you know, all the tools and resources that we can actually have. And as parents, right, don't stop when one door closes at you. I had two doors, two schools closing their doors on my son. And it was the third one that became the miracle, you know, the miracle place. And he, he bloomed. Um, he was not able to write. He was not able to spell his own name. And that this one year has been a tremendous, uh, you know, uh, uh, experience for all of us. And we are just getting surprises and shocks every single day. Huh? You mean he can do that? Since when? <laughs> Being asked and asking, Mommy, did he know, do you know that he can do this? Uh, no. <laughs> skills improved you know, because I, 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 I and he because he has motor skills issues right I mean I understand you understand so whenever he writes um, he, he would say that mommy my hands are painful because of the motor, of the you know the motor skills and it, it pressures the, the, the bone on, on his fingers but you really have to be patient my gosh I think that's a word patient faith um seriously <laughs> <laughs> I'm a living example, right? That no ability will stop you from reaching your goals. You know, exactly. uh, there's no shame in being a late bloomer. Um, I dare to say I'm 46. I'm going to turn 46 in 18 days. I'm living a great life, you know, a new chapter in my life. And I want to, and I say the same thing to my kids, you know. Uh, it's okay if you're not reaching something at this stage, but you never know what's going to happen in the future. So always have faith and work towards it. Yeah. Thank you so much, Tina. Some really encouraging words there. You know, I just want to say as you know, as well. You know, I think that you've done tremendous. What both of you are doing is tremendous. You mentioned Tina that you know you believe that people with autism have a place in society. I believe, I'm I truly truly believe that everyone should have a place in society, yeah. regardless of your race, religion, your, your illnesses, your, your, your abilities, your, you know, anything at all, you should have a place in society and you should be successful in your own ways and you can be successful in your own ways um, and others need to appreciate that. Uh, with that, Tina, you, thank you so much for being on the show. You know, I hope all that you've shared today you know, bring inspiration to people going through similar experiences or help those who may be going through something like this in the future. But most importantly, I hope that, you know, it's given a better understanding uh, about autism to those who never really understood. Thanks once again. And thank you for listening to this first episode of the Ironing Board podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Until the next episode, goodbye. This is the Ironing Board podcast.